Yes, yes, yes. Back at it again. It's your boy, leftunsaidpod.com. Find me on Twitter, leftunsaidpod. Facebook, leftunsaid, I guess. SoundCloud, leftunsaidpod. iTunes. Um, shit, I think you can even find me on Tumblr, too. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> what's going on, everybody? Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to another end of the week Sunday episode of uh, True Detective, you know, just speaking out there in the universe to all my fellow True Detective lovers, you know, just finished watching the actual fourth episode, which was crazy because you know what, I don't know, for me it feels like the sixth episode and not the fourth episode, but that may be me because maybe I'm watching so many shows in conjunction with each other. And now that I'm actually doing these podcasts, I have to keep track of which episode is which. So, um, yeah, I believe this is the fourth one. And, uh, you know, shit got fucking real. Let's just put it that way. I mean, there were surprises all over. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was kind of like a boxing match, really, if I think think about it. It was like, you know, a couple of jabs, you know, a lot of footwork couple of strong body punches and I think that last eight minutes of the episode was just the haymaker knockout ten count it's over it was over I mean I was glued I could not take my eyes off because I was trying to well you know what let's get into that a little bit later let's start off in the beginning you know as we always do uh, your boy Paul. I'm gonna call him Y'all Boy because he's not—he's not my guy. I think Paul is a little bit too lost and too emotional for me to actually, you know, feel anything for him. You know, so it was a little odd that you know I feel that he kind of had a random one night stand, which I kind of knew was happening. I mean, you can't orbit around all of this chaos in which entails his daily job without being kind of brought into it. You know what I mean? Now, if you listen back to my previous podcast um, about Paul, you know, it was like they were making it obvious. They were foreshadowing that this guy lives like a double life. He's, you know, he's homosexual. He's gay. You know what I mean? And it's more of him having an issue coming to grips with being gay than anything else. So... As he was, as I said, you know, he was watching the nightlife from his balcony window. Next thing you know, he's on the street interviewing, you know, prostitutes. And the next thing you know, they're like, hey, Paul, let's go over to this bar. And you'll really get the information you're looking for. Paul's throwing back drinks. And the next thing you know, he's woken up, waking up, (laughs) you know, in a strange place. With his uh, one night stand watching uh, college basketball and cooking breakfast. I mean, hey, I mean, I guess that's what one night stands do. I mean, heterosexual relationships, I guess, is the same thing. You know, one night stand, you wake up, they bring you home. You know, like you said, they put a lot of fires out last night. So I guess they was, you know, doing a lot of begging. So, you know, he was distraught. What he was distraught about, I'm not sure. Well, obviously, we all know what he was distraught about. I don't know. I'm confused about Paul. Because it's like, you put yourself in these precarious positions. This is not your first homosexual um, encounter. 
but still you seem to be so grippingly torn apart and emotionally confused about what it is that you want or what is it that you want it's like it's hard for me to put a finger on it but seeing how I don't necessarily have to put a finger on it because it's not it's not prevalent to me you know what I mean the guy I guess it's a bridge for his pain basically I guess every character if I were to put it into perspective every character is dealing with their different burden and Paul's sexuality is his burden and it is affecting how he sees and maneuvers his way through the world and so you have you know the other cop that he's working with you know with um, Colin Farrell and he's you know he has his own burden that he's carrying and so the car ride that they had you know was kind of odd I wouldn't say it was odd I just feel like since Colin has kind of like stopped drinking his character has matured a lot (laughs) and it's funny because um his the, the the crime mob boss guy he's realized it too like hey it's nice talking to you when your head's not falling down every 10 seconds because you're so you know <laughs> fucking drunk you know what i mean this guy he's um you know colin farrell's character is uh i believe his name's ray he's basically you know giving some great advice to the dude like hey man you know, I know you got have a lot of shit going on. You know, he's being chased by paparazzi. He's got the thing with the actress. You know, his image is basically being pulled through the mud through, you know, social media. This, the media, let's not say social media, but the media per se. And I think that he's dealing with it. I'm not going to say he doesn't know how to deal with it, but he's dealing with it. And, you know. Ray is basically like, hey man, you've seen some shit, you're a fucking hero to me, I understand how this cop shit works, don't worry about anybody else, fuck what anybody else has to say, I think he, I I love the way he says, man, blink the dust out of your eyes and keep moving forward, like, yeah, fuck the bullshit, don't worry about what's going on, man, you know, you have, you have a purpose, and we're on a mission. So all that other extra shit needs to be pushed aside and let's just keep working on what we have to do because, you know, that'll keep you grounded. And it's funny because I think that that's how Ray operates as a cop. He's got the wife issues, you know, he dropped off the badge to his son, you know, kind of letting his son know that, you know, he's wanted, like that he has a legacy, you know, and that he has something to work toward and strive toward because even if people in the past have failed at trying to be good people you know this is a chance where he can actually push somebody which would be his son in the right direction to actually grow up to be a productive member of society and I, and I, and I, and I like how his character arc is kind of maneuvering up and down on that roller coaster of you know, you don't really know what he's doing. You know it's not right, but you kind of know it needs to be done. He happens to always do the right thing. So, I mean, Ray, Ray's my guy. Paul, not so much. Ray's my guy. And this, with this episode, especially with that car talk, you know, it wasn't the Shakespeare soliloquy that 
True Detective is known for, but sometimes you need to say things plainly and directly. You know, plainly and directly and straight to the point. And I respected Paul and Ray for having that moment, having that scene. Because you have to remember, too, these guys really don't know each other. And so with Paul going through that situation, and then you have him meeting up with his girl... And this girl basically dropping a bomb on him very casually, very casually, nonchalant. You know, Paul's like, oh, even though I was sucking dick last night, please, baby, I realize how much I love you. <laughs> oh, take me back, please. And, but before he can really get into, like, the uh, begging part of it, she's just like, I'm pregnant. And so in Paul's mind, he's like, oh, fuck. That's perfect. Yeah, perfect cover for this uh, gay life that I'm struggling with. That's the way I saw it. I mean, you may have viewed it um, a different way, but I viewed it like, hey, I got this girl. Even though it's hard for me to connect with her, and I have to take Viagra to fuck her, she's pregnant. It's mine's. Let's get married. Do this the right way. And at least because I don't have anybody else, really, when I look around, except for my fucked up crazy schizophrenic mom at least I have you maybe and the baby maybe I'm not sure because it was like the way that they were even embracing it. it was like she was like I guess we should do this maybe I guess I love you like if you tell somebody that you love them and they answer back with I guess I love you guess what you're going to have some issues. You are definitely, definitely going to have some issues. And I think he doesn't give a fuck. Paul doesn't give a fuck because that's keeping his world from spinning out of control. And so, just as Ray, the Ray character, the Colin Farrell character, basically said, Hey, look, get the dust out of your eyes, get grounded keep moving forward you know nobody out here really knows how to live we're just winging it and so this may be his you know lack of a better word ball and chain to keep him grounded and stop spinning out and fucking random prostitutes and fucking bars and shit so who knows who knows but you know the emotional side of Paul I could respect that you know with them giving background stories on everything, you know, it was kind of interesting. I think this is the first real Roy emotion that we've seen from any of the three detectives. And then obviously you have this Vaughn, this motherfucker. Oh my God, Frank. <sighs> Frank, 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 Frank. Frank is like going to every old watering hole, threatening anybody who he's ever done business with. And to me, it's so funny because every time he goes to one of his old, like, business ventures, like his mobster-type business ventures, it's the same thing. Everybody reacts the same way, like, oh, hey, 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 Frank, 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 listen, I already paid you for that shit. Why are you coming back? (laughs) I paid you. You got out of the game, Frank. Why are you coming back? And he's like, you know what? You paid me once, but I want more. I'm getting back in the game. I'm getting my feet wet. And, you know, whatever I say goes. And, like, he keeps doing that over and over and over again. But you know what the funny thing about Frank is? I I keep saying to myself, like, 
you keep wondering who wants to kill you, who's coming after you, right? And I guess you have to look at it from both ways. He's creating enemies now, but it seems like he's had great relationships with these people in the past. You get what I'm saying? Like everybody he's done business with, he's done it in a very fair manner. And respectable manner. That's why, as when he comes back to all of these individuals, all of these old watering whole venture type situations, everybody's kind of like, "Hey, yeah, you're a good guy, Frank. I, I trust you. You know, we've done great business together. You've moved on. I'm still here at the fucking bottom of the gutter. You know, <laughs> collecting money. You know, the fucking old, dirty, grimy, dingy way. And you come back to create more enemies." So he doesn't, he seems like he's had great relationships in the past, but obviously there's that one person he crossed and he can't figure out who it is. So, I mean, Frank and his wife, <laughs> fuck these fucking baby issues, man. I, I swear to God, I swear to God. It's, it's, it's like, it's like, listen, man, fucking turn on a porno, fucking give yourself half an hour. And just fucking give the sample to the doctor and give it to give it to the doctor and let him do what he needs to do. Happy wife, happy life, man. Happy wife, happy life. And Frank, go ahead and get that sample off your chest so you can go ahead and uh, at least deal with that one issue. But also, I think it was very, very subtle, very slight little Easter egg. It'll probably come back later. The avocado trees that were dying and the trip that they took way out way out and they were saying how the soil was contaminated due to like the mercury and the lead from the mines and all of this like you know this the the, the, the pollution coming from these shops are making it so that the land I mean the soil is not growable it can't it can't you can't bear fruit on the land and the farms are selling out and so if you really think about it if they're all the way out on the countryside with the soil being that bad and then Frank's at his house on the hills and he's got bad soil it's kind of like this mercury thing may be creeping in closer to home than people might think I'm not really sure where they're trying to go there because I'm really confused about how this land and kind of confused on why this guy was visiting all those places too so they kind of touched on it very lightly and then left it alone so i guess those are one of those things where at the end they'll be like connect the dots ding 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 and then everything will be okay but um you know kind of you know little easter egg i'm gonna keep my eye on that because i'm sure i'm still trying to figure out who the killer is in this situation but um you know um who do we what do we have next i mean obviously we have Anne. Anne and her pussy, Anne and her pussy getting her in trouble because she thinks she can just fuck him and forget about him. But obviously, all of these guys that she's having sex with, <laughs> she must have one of the best pussies on the world because these guys, she hits these motherfuckers once and they just, they, can, they cannot leave her alone. You know what I mean? I'm like, what the fuck? You know, she cuts the pussy off. These motherfuckers go crazy. I'm like, God damn. You know, Colin Farrell's trying to tell her, like, hey, look, to me, Anna's a little bit naive. 
because this isn't the first time Colin has told her like, yo, we're messing with something that we don't understand and we need to be careful because this is a, this is a like, we, we're actually, the investigation is scapegoats for people, the higher ups. They're just doing it to have somebody dependent on because, you know, that's basically what they do. Everything we're doing here is empty. And when they can't control the investigation, they need somebody dependent on. And they found three fucking rinky dink uh, investigators, excuse me, detectives, you know, who were kind of messed up. And they kind of, each detective kind of has dirt on another detective, but they all have to work together. And he's like, hey, look, whatever we did at that man's house pissed the mayor off. And, you know, they may be coming after you. And she's like, well, fuck it. I don't give a fuck. I didn't do anything wrong. Plus, hey, look, if you're not dirty, they got nothing on you. So that naive mind state seems to have gotten and, you know, fucking screwed. Let's just put it that way, you know seems like she might have a history of gambling debts also, which I would presume uh, she was gambling and may have the gambling debt because she was trying to help her sister out. You know, they had that little moment during the show when they were talking about reminiscing. Yeah, I was like, whatever. I don't really care about her sister. But I guess it was important. It's going to be important, you know, down the line because they want us to understand that she only did this out of the need to assist her sister and, you know, you know, help a family member out who's in trouble. So, you know, we have the sexual misconduct, the IA investigation, her being suspended, and then, you know, we have the initial investigation. It looks like they have found the guinea pig or the scapegoat, excuse me, the scapegoat, which is like a little low level Mexican pimp. <laughs> You know what I mean? And they fucking tracked this guy down through his hoe who sold the fucking watch at a pawn shop on camera. You know, I mean, the whole thing just seems so neatly packaged together. They should know what's a setup. And you know what I respect about Rachel? Excuse me, Rachel's her real name. And, you know, they got the police commissioner, the mayor there. They're like, hey, let's go get this guy. And like all the cops getting suited up with the vest and stuff. And they're like, hey. You know, um, do you really need this many guys? She's like, hey, it's better to be safe than sorry. Turn around. My God, now this is where the show got me. This is where the show got me. I mean, God damn. You know what's really interesting? Because I look I look for things like this. You know what was really pissing me off? What was pissing me off is that the show kind of has no continuity. Like the cutscenes between the detectives are so rough, you know, it's like predictable. You know what I mean? It's like you watch these two people interact for like five minutes at a time, eight minutes at a time, and then you cut to this pan shot of of, um, of like L.A. So if it's at night, you know it's going to be like a pan shot of lights and of the California. And if it's in the day, you'll see a pan shot of the freaking highway. But for some reason, this episode, it was so much more noticeable because I think they're using the same shots over and over again. Oh, snap. I think I did something. Oh, I must have pitched out. But, um... They keep using the same shots because they keep looking so familiar. And I'm like, 
you know what, I'm going to start paying attention to these highways and these, like, helicopter cover shots. I'm, I don't know what they're called, but um, the funny thing, you know how I knew something was about to happen? All of these cops are walking across the street, and I don't know if you know, like, that Beatles cover? When, like, you know, they're all, like, all they show is their feet and they're crossing, like, the crosswalk in England. You know, I just saw a lot, um, that Minions moving with the little yellow people. And they were, like, in Britain. And they were walking across the street. And it was, like, reminiscent. It was, like, a, a um, homage, paying homage to the Beatles. You know, kind of walking across the street. And I was like, oh, look at this shot. Look at all these cops walking across the street like the Beatles. And I'm like, well, this is kind of fucking strange because don't cops arrive to, like, stash houses and cars and in Jeeps and in armored trucks and they roll up to make sure at least they have some type of protection before, you know, they, they go into harm's way? But no, these motherfuckers are just, like, I guess 30 cops with shotguns and, you know, um, what do you call it? Battering rams and everything just casually walking down the street. Oh my God, look at all of these tall buildings. And I mean, to me, this shootout, I mean, it was a, it was, it was well done. Let's just, let's just put it that way. It wasn't, look, wait, 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 hold up. I take that back. It was an extremely well done shootout. And when I say extremely well done shootout, I mean the realistic aspect of the actual premise of sometimes what you would imagine a shootout to be. Because here you have these cops randomly walking down the street. You don't think somebody's going to let them know? I mean, that, you know, here we have this big drug operation going on that they don't have lookouts up at the window so obviously somebody say hey Hector you know the cops are coming down the street man and these motherfuckers said oh really man let me get this fucking AK-47 strapped up I mean they I mean the, the, the realistic part that I like was the reloading I think that that was great so it was the actual video game like movements that were going on. And when I say video games, if you ever played Call of Duty and you played in like like a team setting, like a deathmatch, and you've got to get from point A to point B and kind of like do like a capture a flag, capture the flag type of thing, and you all have to work together as a team, you know, that was it. That was like a team deathmatch, capture the flag, let's go and get to this point location and apprehend these suspects so we can go ahead and close this case out but obviously the suspects had uh, other plans in the way that they were communicating reloading firing ducking for cover i mean this wasn't one of these csi shootouts this wasn't an svu shootout this wasn't some nbc primetime this was hardcore you know military style shootout and you know thanks to paul having that military background you know he understood that hey look we can't stay in this one spot too long because if we do stay in this one spot too long we gonna die and so while they're up there with the higher ground you know taking out cops like 
cherry pickers, pop up headshots all day. You know, Paul's actually advancing. Him and Colin, you know, are doing great cover fire. The relationship, you know, it, it was like fucking. It was a masterpiece. I mean, you can tell that they knew what. Not to say that other cops didn't know what they were doing, but you know, when that fat guy got shot in the head, I was a really. I laughed for some reason. I didn't. I, I didn't even know I would laugh at that moment, but. It was funny. He got shot in the head. They're making progress. You know, I mean, you have all of these innocent bystanders with the bus. They're chasing down the suspects as they hop in the car. I mean, the chase scene, the getaway was realistic. Like, hey, we're not going to go on some freaking highway chase with these guys. You know what I mean? You have all these people here. These guys are being shot at. Obviously, you're not going to drive straight. You're going to swerve. He winds up hitting the bus. You know, they have all of these high-powered guns. They're getting picked off by the cops. They're killing cops. I mean, it was just... It wasn't... It was well-organized mayhem. And the type of... And the way it was shot was... You can see and understand everything. They weren't panning away and pulling away when uh, somebody got shot in the head. You know, when a person ran out of ammo, they didn't magically, you know, have 27 bullets and a 12 bullet and a 12 bullet gun. You know what I mean? They were the way they were checking. I don't know. It was it was realistic. You saw it. Well done. Um, Like I said, I kind of thought this was episode six for some reason, but it was episode four. So for them to give us this type of like fucking shooting, like this type of scene, like episode four, I'm like, holy shit, you know, it can only get better from here. So, hey, as I've stated before, these are two different shows, two different seasons. I'm viewing them independently. I'm no longer looking as one as a continuation or on the other, even though they clearly stated that obviously season one has nothing to do with season two, but it's the expectation for the quality as a fan that I'm looking for, looking for a certain amount of quality. And they gave it to me in this episode. And I was pleasantly surprised Last 8 minutes glued to my seat Can't wait till next week Um, You know things are falling into place Everybody screwed You got Paul screwed with the media And his his past You've got Anne being suspended And you've got um, Frank (laughs) creating enemies Everywhere And And now you have Rain You know just being a grounded guy, actually getting his life together as the show goes on, <laughs> which was kind of ironic. But, you know, with all of those innocent people being killed, oh my God. Oh my God. If one thing this show loves to do, this show loves to talk. Talk, 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 talk. So it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be a lot of talking. I predicted the next episode with what are the repercussions of all of these innocent lives. And um, hopefully they continue to be realistic about, you know, which direction this shit rolls when it rolls downhill. And I'm looking forward to it, as I've stated multiple times during this podcast. Great episode. Looking forward to next week. I think I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening. Um, it's been your boy, Left Unsaid Pod. Dot com can find me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, um, 
you know, YouTube, all of those good places, and um, comment, like, and follow, and subscribe, let me know that I'm, you know, talking to somebody out there, but um, other than that, you know, thanks for listening, and I'm out, peace.